The Annex Wealth Management Show on 92.5 Fox News is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk. Please consult with a qualified fiduciary advisor about your specific situation. Know the difference. Now, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 92.5 Fox News. CPI, PPI, soft landing, hard landing. How about a no landing? Welcome to Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. We've got a lot to talk about. If you're one of the people that is working, but you don't have access to a 401k, no problem. You've got options. We're going to talk about that. Ask Annex is on the way. And toward the end of the show, 10 things to have on hand for efficient state planning. This is just a small example of what we do at Annex Wealth Management. And we're going to kind of unfold it as the next hour rolls through with investment and retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning. In the studio, Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer. Welcome. Thank you, Danny. Dave Spano, our President and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. Thank Welcome you, to you, Danny. Of course, there is certainly a lot of economic information, Danny, as you just began to talk about CPI and PPI and, you know, Consumer Price Index and the Producers Price Index both gave us a lot of information this week. Some of it was a little disappointing, Derek. Right. It was, it was both numbers were a little bit hotter than expected, particularly the PPI, where we saw a 0.7% month-on-month increase after a down month-on-month number last month. In addition, we also saw a retail sales number this week that was better than expected, up about 6.4%. So the consumer continues to do well. Uh, inflation continues to be persistent. And the Atlanta Fed is forecasting 2.4% growth in Q1. So those that are waiting for a recession have more have longer to wait. And, of course, that just means that they could be pushing it down the road. You know, anytime that you've seen an inverted yield curve of this magnitude, we've seen a recession. So there is a likelihood... Uh, high likelihood that we could see something late 23 and 24 but as you point out the consumer continues to spend it could be in part that there's still a lot of transfer payments including the increase of social security of more than eight and a half percent right and i didn't realize there are 66 million americans that are getting social security so that's a significant voting block if you will or spending block i should say in addition the other thing with the labor market is you know it's so hard to find employees what it looks like is employers are hoarding folks now they may not be work in the 40-hour work week, but it's much easier to hold an employee than to have to retrain one if the economy were a rebound. So that seems to be also a reason for the stunning persistence in the labor market. And that might change, though, as, as the end of the year. And I do agree there's probably some employee hoarding going on. But all told, what it meant is that the 10-year Treasury began to spike on Friday. It hit as high as 3.9%, and that is a big move from where it's been. Right. Almost back to the highs we made in December when the stock market, as you know, was significantly lower. In addition, and this kind of blew my socks up, I saw the six-month Treasury bill traded up to 5% today, which is the highest it's been since 2007, and compares pretty favorably to what the earnings yield is on the S&P, which is 5.08%. So fixed income, particularly on the short end of the yield curve, looks pretty attractive relative to where it's been in the past. You know, you talked about sticky inflation. Of course, we've been talking about this for a long time. And part of this is what another topic that we've covered for years, that at some point the bill is 
going to come due. The bill of excessive spending and, of course, that driving up interest rates, it, that is really in front of us at the moment. Right. And when you're talking about the bill, you're talking about both the Fed with quantitative easing and also the fiscal profligacy that's been going on in Washington, most recently a $1.7 trillion bill in December. Because as one of our research partners likes to point out, we have to refinance 50% of the of the debt in the next three years. And currently, that debt is paying 1.8%, significantly different rate than what we're currently seeing. Yeah, so imagine tripling the interest rate that you pay on your loan at home, folks. That is what we're talking about doing on 50% of the incredible amount of debt that's out there. So that what that's going to do is going to crowd out a lot of things. It is Now, we're not saying this could happen, but you could be spending as much in a, in a country on interest on the debt as you do to defend the country. Right, and that's what some of the forecasts are suggesting. So there are clearly difficult choices ahead. And, you know, one of the things we try to do as an investment candidate is to kind of see around the corners. And if tax policy is going to change in the coming years, that has to be reflected in what we're doing with our portfolios. And so this is not the time to set it and forget it. And that doesn't mean that you don't have to stay the course. You really should consider how your portfolio is comprised. In other words, should you rebalance? Should you reevaluate your risk? Active versus passive investing. This all goes into what we do on a daily basis that is open to anyone who reaches out. When you listen to this show, you hear great examples of all of the teams that Dave has built over the years at Annex Wealth Management, our investment team, our retirement planning team, our tax planning team, our estate planning team. It's just a sample. Not until you are a client and working with Annex Wealth Management will you really feel the whole power. And we'd like you to do that. Head to the website this weekend. Click that Get Started button. Let's get the conversation going. Let's get you in shape for this year and beyond because it's going to be a rocky road at times. This is great information whenever you need it. The Week in Review available on demand this weekend. Our YouTube channel, The Axiom on Sunday mornings, Spotify at the top of the hour. Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, Sunday, February 19th. Going to be right back on 92.5 Fox News. If the only tool you have is a hammer, everything you fix looks like a nail. Same thing goes for some annuity salesmen. Need help with tax planning? Maybe you need an annuity. Recession coming? Have you tried an annuity? Retirement planning? You get the picture. Sometimes you need more than a one-tool solution. It's time for serious fee-only fiduciary planning from Annex Wealth Management. Our in-house team of experts will offer you a rigorously tested plan built just for you. Annex Wealth Management. Know the difference. Back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. If you really like info about the markets, our investment committee, make sure you check out our SWAT podcast. That's available on demand on Spotify Monday mornings, usually mid-morning, 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning. Easy listen, about 15 or 20 minutes. You can learn a lot and kind of get a glimpse into how we think. We put together a very, very powerful investment committee. Many firms We'll have it emailed to them, what they're going to do. Not us, not at Annex Wealth Management. Also sign up for the Axiom, which is our free weekly newsletter. Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer in the studio. Dave Spano is President and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. Thanks, Danny. You know, Derek and I had a nice conversation in the last segment. It really got me to thinking about what we really know at this point. What we do know is that we are not in a recession, and perhaps we have hit peak inflation. There's a couple of things that we can rely on when we hear that information. 
Well, well, certainly. And one of the things about peak inflation is it will affect margins because in some ways companies, as they've grown their revenues over the past year, benefited in varying degrees from increasing prices. I've noticed, you know, how sticky beer prices are, for example. I don't think they're going down anytime soon. Uh, but on the on the flip side, though, interest expense and labor expenses, which are a significant cost for many companies, are going up. So we expect margins to be under some pressure. And historically, when margins are other pressure, it's difficult for stocks to make much headway. And so, of course, we had a down year in 2022. And what you're suggesting that is 2023 is going to be difficult as well. And that's why it really means what do we know? And of course, if inflation is peaked but sticky, that is something that we have also talked about because of so many things that go into sticky inflation. You talked about jobs opening twice as many as those seeking geopolitical risks, the Fed fighting the federal government. All of this means that inflation might stay higher than we'd like. Well, and also, I mean, just if you look around the world, our relationship with China exported uh, disinflation in the United States, but as more and more companies onshore in order to protect our national security's interests, you'd expect prices of those goods to go up somewhat. You also see situations with M2. M2 grew at 40% just yep. a year ago, and that takes many a lot of time to filter through. Yes, M2 growth has slowed dramatically, but there's still a lot of cash in the system that is trying to find a place to park. I agree with that. And of course, you, know, you talked about pressure on margins, and what that really means is, you know, we talk about this a lot, but the S&P 500 has uh, earnings from each one of those 500 companies, and in, in aggregate, they come up to a certain number. The current thinking is about two $225 for the whole S&P 500. Now, what multiple you're willing to pay for that is really the, the big question. And of course, can you, can you make an argument that you're going to have margin expansion from where we are today? That's a tough sell. Right. And, and, and historically, when you have inflation around the 4% level, the market is typically traded at 6 to 17 times earnings. Right now, it's trading at 18.5. So that suggests there's a possibly perhaps 10% downside from here, which would get us to right around 3,700 or so above the October below, but certainly something would make people uncomfortable and something we're positioned for as an investment committee. And I think that's really where I was going with this. How are you positioned? You know, do you have enough cash in your portfolio? What are your fixed income assets doing for you? Because, of course, as interest rates go up, it's an opportunity set. And that's where I'd like to spend some time is really on, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about stocks, but what about the bonds and people's portfolios? Well, the bonds, I mean, for example, now that, you know, duration has been a a detriment recently as interest rates have risen up to 3.9%, as you mentioned. Uh, So long-dated treasuries and and corporate bonds are looking better. Uh, The yields you can get in the high-yield market are 6-7%. The odds of default are much lower, so you can have a bit bit of a credit bet. But you've got to be careful because if the economy were slow dramatically after all of this monetary tightening, you could see a surge in defaults, and that could lead to problems in the high-yield market. One more sector I do want to cover, of course, is energy. And, uh, you know, crude oil closed on Friday in the 70s, and we were expecting that it would go the other way. But, of course, we just saw a crazy uh, headline the other day that said the Strategic Petroleum Reserve had more sent out this week. Yeah, they've been they've been putting downward pressure on gasoline prices. I thought that was an election year stunt, but apparently they continue to believe that oil prices are going lower and they're going to be able to buy it at a lower price. I'm not sure that's true. China's 
is reopening. We know that. Uh, and Chinese oil demand is down substantially from where it was pre COVID, and they've essentially been shut for three years, so no one really knows the magnitude of that future demand. Dave, maybe what they're going to do is what most guys do, is you wait till it's just sitting on E. Yeah, right. The, right. Exactly. Drive around. Yeah. <laughs> wait till you get to the next gas station. That's how right. guys do it. Uh, listen, if we can help, head to our website. It's AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. You need the wealth metric process. Not everybody's got access to a 401k for retirement saving, but there are options. We're going to cover them next on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. Need to reach Annex Wealth Management but want to skip the computer? No problem. Call us, 239-350-6363. 239-350-6363. Let's talk soon. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? You know, we talk a lot about 401ks, but not everybody has access to a 401k. There are more than 70 million gig workers in the United States who don't. 401ks are great, but what happens when you don't have access? Fred Coleman is a CFP and a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. He's going to walk us through it. Welcome to the show, Fred. Thanks, Danny. Okay, no 401k, but you still want to work towards saving money for retirement. If that's the case, I guess maybe the first place we start is the old traditional IRA. Yeah, if you're an independent contractor or your employer doesn't offer a 401k, then it's up to you to fund your own retirement. An individual retirement account, also known as an IRA, can be the next best alternative because it offers significant tax advantages. Not only can you receive a tax deduction in a year you contribute to the account, but also your contributions will grow tax deferred. This means you will not pay tax on the contributions or the earnings until you choose to withdraw the money or when you're required to start withdrawing at age 73. In addition, there are no income limitations to open in a traditional IRA, which means no matter how much or how little you make, you can open an IRA and start contributing immediately. You should also know that the maximum annual contribution for traditional IRAs is $6,500 if you're under age 50 and $7,500 for those 50 and older. So good vehicle, right? I mean, the tax advantage, right, drops your taxable income and then it grows. So that's great. Investing for retirement without a 401k, there are options. The next up is the Roth IRA, the cousin, right? Yeah, yeah. The Roth IRA is another great vehicle. With Roth IRAs, the contributions are not tax deductible. This means you won't get a tax break when you make contributions. However, when you withdraw the money during retirement, the contributions can be withdrawn tax-free. The contributions that you make into the Roth can always be withdrawn without penalty, and as long as you satisfy the five-year holding period and you're at least 59 and a half years or older, then the entire account, including the earnings, can come out tax-free. When we work with clients to develop distribution strategies, oftentimes we'll use Roths to help minimize taxes you'll pay over your lifetime. And they're also great for estate planning because you can pass tax-free assets to your heirs. Maximum contributions for Roths are also 6,500 if you're under age 50 and 7,500 for those 50 and older. However, your eligibility to contribute directly to a Roth may depend on your income. A wealth manager can help you determine your maximum contribution to a Roth and if it's the best type of account to use when it comes to saving for retirement. You know, a lot of times people, I think they hesitate on that because I don't want to pay the taxes now, right? Do you find that? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And and that's something you got to you gotta run the numbers and crunch the numbers to see what's best. Yep. We're with Fred Coleman, a CFP and a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. If you're not eligible for a 401k, either because your company doesn't offer it or you're a gig or freelance worker, there are options. Most in the audience know what IRAs and Roth IRAs are. What's this SEP IRA? 
Yeah, if, if you're self-employed or you freelance, you can use the earnings to open a SEP IRA. With a SEP IRA in 2023, you can contribute the lesser of 66000 or 25% of your net self-employment earnings for the year. The maximum compensation that can be considered is 330000 of income. The contributions are tax deductible, they grow tax deferred, and the disbursements won't be taxed until retirement. Aside from the high contribution limits, one of the best features of the SEP is the flexibility. When you have a side hustle or a business, your income can fluctuate. So committing to making contributions to a retirement plan every year can be difficult because you don't know what exactly your income will be for the year. We recommend SEPs sometimes for self-employed individuals because of the ability to look back at your income for the prior year. So let's say you had a really great year in 2022 and then you go to file your taxes and you realize you have a high tax bill, you can still make deductible contributions into the SEP up to the tax filing deadline. This gives you the unique ability to be able to look back, lower your taxable income for the prior year without making that upfront commitment to contribute. That's pretty handy. You know, most of the time, Fred, when people hear 401ks, there's a company-sponsored plan, but those who aren't in traditional jobs, there is that thing called the solo 401k. How's that one work? The solo 401k is for self-employed or 1099 contractors who don't have access to any other 401k plan and you don't have any employees outside of your spouse. It offers some of the same tax advantages as a regular 401k, but as a self-employed individual, you can make contributions as both the employer and the employee. As the employee, you can contribute the elective deferral maximum of 22500 in 2023. And as the employer, you can add an additional 25% of your adjusted gross income for a maximum contribution of 66000 In addition, you can tack on another 6500 if you're over age 50. I guess the point here is that if you are in a line of work that you don't have a 401k, do something. Absolutely. You got to do something and you got to do something early enough that you can slowly build it up, right? I would think that that's something you talk about with clients quite often. Yeah, early and often. And the sooner you start, you know, the more you're able to compound and, and the more options that you'll have. Yeah, cool. Folks, nobody's the same. That's why we tailor what we do with our clients to them in their situations. No sales contests here, just advice from fee-only fiduciaries. Website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Fred Coleman is CFP and a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for jumping on. All right, thanks for having me, Danny. Three myths about tax planning and maybe some gotchas when it comes to DNA sites like Ancestry or 23andMe. What does that mean? That's next on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. Someone asks how you are. Most of the time, it's good. So how's your money, your investments, your retirement plans? Given everything going on, good might not be the answer. It's time for Annex Wealth Management. Head to AnnexWealth.com. Click the Get Started button. Annex will build a plan that addresses your financial, retirement, tax, and estate planning. Annex Wealth Management can change the conversation. We don't want you to answer, good. We want you to feel the confidence of saying, great. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. AnnexWealth.com. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? Our clients enjoy comprehensive investment and retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning services. Let's talk about estate planning. Jill Martin, estate planning attorney at Annex, joins us. Hey, Jill. Hi, Danny. Welcome back. Can you define a couple of terms? The first is a little scary. It's disinherit. The second, unequal distributions. Disinherit, that sounds pretty drastic. It sounds drastic, but what it really is, is it's doing an estate plan that meets your wishes 
rather than relying on the default rules that states provide. Defaults generally say, I leave things, everything to my spouse, or I leave everything to my children, right? If you want to do something other than that, A, you need to do an estate plan, and B, you're disinheriting someone as part of that process, right? You're giving them less than what they would be entitled to under law. How about unequal distribution? This is a hot topic for everyone that we talk to, right, in terms of equal distribution in terms of dollar amounts or equitable distributions in terms of maybe one of your children is much more well off and doesn't need the inheritance from you, whereas a different one might, right? So equal in dollar amounts or equitable in terms of where are they at in life? All right. That leads us to our first myth about estate planning. You must divide your estate evenly amongst beneficiaries, and that's not true. Correct. Right. You you are in complete control. So the only time equal applies is if we rely on state rules. And that's basically when you don't have an, an estate plan, so intestate probate rules apply. Most of the time, you don't want to fall into that category because it's usually not something that you want to have happen. If you want to make provisions that you treat your children equally, you certainly can, but you have no legal obligation that you have to. So if there's one child that you have helped during life that you don't want them to inherit upon your death, you just need to put that into an estate plan and document it. Would they know? You know, that's a great question. They might if you tell them about your estate plan, which I encourage everyone to talk to their children about their estate plan so it's not a surprise, but they might not. If you haven't had the conversation with them. There isn't the proverbial reading of the will like we always think there is, but that's when they're going to find out is when all of a sudden the beneficiary designations come up and your will or your trust document is disclosed. So all those movie scenes where they're reading the will and everybody's in the room, that's that doesn't happen that no, way. No, yeah, it doesn't quite so. happen. I no. think, you know, Knives Out was a fun one that we <laughs> yes. all watched over the last year or so, but I don't know that it's quite that dramatic. Joe Martin is here, estate planning attorney at Annex Wealth Management. Another myth about estate planning is once you've disinherited, you cannot change your mind. Again, incorrect, because you always have the ability to change your estate plan, whether it's changing the beneficiary form on your retirement account. So if you say, I leave it equally to my three children, tomorrow you could change that and say, nope, I'm leaving it 50-50 to the two, and I'm leaving one of them out. You can change it every day if you wanted to. I wouldn't recommend that, but you certainly can. As long as you have capacity to be able to sign documents or update your estate plan documents, you can change anything. The freshest estate plan wins. Correct. Okay. Correct. So whatever is the last dated document prior to your passing, that's the document that's going to govern. We're with Jill Martin, estate planning attorney at Annex Wealth Management. She assists Annex clients with estate planning needs. We're covering a couple of myths when it comes to estate planning. Another one is you cannot control things from the grave. What? So you can control things from the grave. Maybe not as much as you maybe control them while you're alive, but you do have the option to put some terms and conditions on the inheritance that you're leaving for other people. And that's what we call using a trust. Basically, instead of giving someone money outright that's theirs to do with as they see fit, you create a trust that their inheritance goes into, and then you've specified in that trust document the terms and conditions by which they can or can't get money out of that trust. Let's switch gears real quick. We've seen ads for DNA kits from Ancestry.com, 23andMe. Next two years, it might be a $10 billion category. And these kits have allowed people to search their family history, bringing up siblings and other family members they might not know about. And here's a story. 
guy named George discovered the existence of a biological brother. Here's what happened. He submitted his DNA and that of his parents to 23andMe. They then added the DNA information to that database, and it's huge. It's over a million people. His account then showed that he shared 22% of his DNA with somebody named Thomas, who was already in the 23andMe system. Further, the system showed George's father shared 50% of his DNA with Thomas. So dad had some explaining to do. This opens up litigation, doesn't it? It does. And from the estate planning side of the equation, it's really, really fascinating, right? Because typically in an estate plan, if you don't do any estate planning, Thomas would be a legal biological heir to dad in that situation. And all of a sudden, that potentially opens up a claim if there's a probate proceeding or something like that going on. When you do more robust planning where you have a will or you have a trust that specifically states, these are my children and I do not make provisions for any other individuals, you're basically disinheriting those unknown children at that point in time. And so you need to do some planning because this could potentially open up a can of worms from a litigation standpoint in a probate or a trust proceeding. If maybe you might have had a child from a relationship or that happened, you know, early on in life, you may want to think about how to address that in an estate plan. The other element of this that we didn't talk about is if Thomas was legally adopted by other people, if he's legally adopted, he has two parents. So it doesn't necessarily allow him to inherit from biological dad. So there are a lot of different laws in play here that people just need to recognize that this can get really complicated really fast. Really complicated really fast. Get a great estate plan. Our clients get them. Joe Martin, estate planning attorney at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks again. Thank you, Danny. Cut through the clutter with Axiom, the weekly newsletter from Annex Wealth Management. Subscribe today for seven insights built and delivered to you every Sunday. It'll help you navigate the markets and the things that affect your money. The Axiom. Sign up at AnnexWealth.com. Back and it's time for Ask Annex. As always, you've got a question for us, please head to our website. It's AnnexWealth.com. Look for the Ask tab. We get back to everybody. We need your permission to go on the radio. And if you don't want to, that's fine. We'll just keep that internal. Sarah Kyle's a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. She's here. Hey. Hey, Danny. Let's welcome in Trevor Narge, a senior trader at Annex Wealth Management. Good to see you. Hello. Trevor is a regular guest on the Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast. If I want to put a plug in for that. First question is from Anthony. I have a full-time job with full health care coverage and plan on continuing to work. Should I sign up for Medicare to avoid any penalty, even though I do not want or need it now? It's my understanding that I should not. I turn 65 in a week and a half. Many thanks. Well, happy early birthday, Anthony. So the first thing is to ask your employer to see if you even need to sign up for Part A and Part B when you turn 65. Generally, if your employer has at least 20 employees and you are still working and covered under that qualified group plan, when you do turn 65, you can delay the enrollment in Medicare. But at a minimum, signing up for Medicare Part A is best practice since it is free and you will get some coverage for hospital-related costs. However, this is a big However, this only makes sense if you aren't contributing to an HSA. So once you sign up for Medicare, you are no longer eligible to contribute to one. And you know what? It's a good idea just to run the numbers. Make sure your employer, if your employer plan isn't heavily subsidized by the employer, it may make sense to get on Medicare. So figure out what you're paying, what your benefits look like under your group plan, and compare that to Medicare, taking into account the cost of everything from premiums to co-pays to deductibles. That's the way we think. Let's go to Karen's question. What is 
risk mean in investing? Yeah, so that's a fantastic question, right? Risk can be defined by a, a plethora of different things, right? There's all different types of subsets of risk in investing, but the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, so that's commonly referred to as FINRA, but they define risk as any uncertainty with respect to your investments that has the potential to negatively impact your financial welfare. So like I said, right, there's different components to risk. You got systemic risk, interest rate risk, liquidity risk, so on and so forth. But in short, risk is viewed by many as the potential for loss of capital. Now, some people will take volatility and they'll group that and risk together. But volatility really pertains more to the range of price movements in securities over a certain time frame. You know, risk, on the other hand, that should be thought of from more of a long-term standpoint. So in properly functioning markets, participants should be compensated with higher returns for the higher levels of risk that they take. Sarah, do you find that risk tolerance is like, is that a gut thing with people? <laughs> well, it's definitely a measure if you can sleep at night. Yeah, yeah. You know, we always talk about the tolerance versus the capacity in your portfolio. And they're so, different. In your plan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Next question is anonymous. What are the most common types of bridge insurance if I retire early? I have two years before being eligible for Medicare. Well, the most common bridge is Obamacare, but that depends on income. So some people choose to do COBRA because it's actually cheaper. To, you have to weigh that, mm -hmm. but the exchange or the Obamacare, yep. right? Okay. Yep. And our final question is also anonymous. How rare is it to hold on to stock for years or even decades? Isn't that what Warren Buffett does? Yeah, this is a great question. It's always fun to you know talk about Warren Buffett here and there. So for starters, it really depends on one's time horizon and what they're looking to accomplish with their portfolio. You know, for some people, buying and holding makes a lot of sense. Whereas for others, a more hands-on approach can help in navigating different market environments. Over time, according to a study done by Reuters, the average investor's holding period of shares on the New York Stock Exchange has actually fallen quite a bit over time. It's really been driven by the emergence of algorithms, high-frequency trading, you know, lower commissions and fees on trades, shorter company life cycles, and in general, you have people who are focused a lot more on kind of the short-term performance. You know, back in the late 50s and the early 60s, the study that I just mentioned, that showed that the average holding period for a stock was actually around five to eight years, and we've seen a steady decline in that holding period over time. Now, the average holding period for a stock on the New York Stock Exchange is sitting at about five and a half months. So to get at the first part of that question, right, it's become more uncommon to take the buy and hold approach. Sarah, do you find sometimes after a potential client has gone through the, the, the analysis of what they have that there are stocks in their portfolio that they've had forever? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't? Yeah, sometimes, you know, these legacy holdings that they are emotionally attached to, um, that they want to keep in the portfolio, there's some sort of emotional attachment, and that's, that's okay. But we just don't want it to be an over-concentration with these individual positions that they want to keep because then that can really affect their performance. Right. That's And that would be for a regular stock, but it's a little different with a company stock maybe that they work for, but then that that's another thing. Yep. That's a whole nother segment. Whole nother th segment and mm -hmm. a whole nother thing we can help you with for investment and retirement planning, tax planning and estate planning. We do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Trevor Nargis is a senior trader and part of the investment committee at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for coming in. Thank you, guys. And Sarah Kyle, wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. 
you. My pleasure. Are there really only four types of retirees? If so, where do you fit in? We'll check in with Robert Chastain, branch director and a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management Southwest Florida. Talk about that next. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 92.5 Fox News. Cut through the clutter with Axiom, the weekly newsletter from Annex Wealth Management. Subscribe today for seven insights built and delivered to you every Sunday. It'll help you navigate the markets and the things that affect your money. The Axiom. Sign up at AnnexWealth.com. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? Are there four types of retirees? Let's talk about it with Robert Chastain, Branch Director and Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management here in Southwest Florida. Hey, Robert. Hi, Danny. So as you and I go through these four types that came out of a recent survey, folks, we want to see if you recognize yourself and then maybe think about whether or not making some changes in your approach to retirement would be a good idea. Maybe even retirement planning if you're not already retired and perhaps put them into place. And I will just tell you this right at the beginning. It's going to be a little grimmer at the beginning, and then we're going to kind of work up a little bit. The first group we'll talk about are the regretful strugglers. Robert, what are their traits? Well, they uh, put off uh, saving for retirement, and which creates a lot of the regret. If the typical ones start saving at age 42, which leaves 23 years to age 65. Now, you can't solve a problem without starting to try. So even if it's at age 42, there's catch-up clauses that we can take uh, advantage of. First thing we'd probably like to do is really look at your debt and expenses and reduce anything in there and apply that to uh, your 401k or a Roth IRA. And I would implore any of our clients or the clients that I meet with, look at every single purchase as a have to have or a nice to have. Yeah, this comes from a survey of about 11,000 participants. So the sample size is pretty big. One of the things I thought that jumped out is only half are spending time with family and friends. And boy, that's a tough thing. We've talked often about how you need that social network. Many of these people struggled prior to retirement economically. Maybe they had illness, caregiving problems, divorce, widowhood, forced retirement. But getting a plan is at least what you can do in a positive step. Next up, challenged yet hopeful. So that's pretty good. This group is pretty interesting. These folks are trying to make the most of retirement, even though they're lacking some financial planning and savings. On average, they start saving at age 45. So there's 20 years to make up any difference in a financial plan. They focus on continual self-improvements. And, you know, they do like to spend the quality time with their family and friends. So maybe from a psychologically standpoint, they're happier and maybe they can do with less. You know, a positive attitude is always helpful. My suggestions to them, if we see a challenge yet hopeful and we get them early enough, maybe we push them in a direction where they can create some passive income, Mm -hmm. some rental income, maybe plan on a part-time job if their plan is falling short. They might still be happy if they're out and about amongst the community since they like community and family. What really jumped out at me is that they got that late start at 45. That, That is late. We're the Robert Chastain, Branch Director and Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management here in Southwest Florida. Taken from a survey, this is a broad brushstroke group of four types of retirees. What are they like? How might they change? Our third group is called the Relaxed Traditionalists. The, <laughs> that's an interesting name, right? The Relaxed Traditionalists. These folks feel life is good and pursuing what is considered a traditional retirement. So they may stay at the same career, 
They have a, a, maybe a pension. Pensions are pretty rare these days, but maybe they have a long-term 401k. It's, it's been uh, invested well. On average, they start saving at age 37. That leaves 28 years. That's almost a whole career to build your retirement nest egg, which can really make up for some poor markets, some bad investment choices for these people. Again, they can use those catch-up clauses if after age 50, we see that they're falling short, and I think they would be happy to. All of these groups pick up some form of exercise. Make sure your health, I don't care who you are, or what group you're from here. If you don't have your health in retirement, retirement's not gonna be a whole lot of fun. Yeah, this group though does seem like they're enjoying retirement. They're free of obligations, that's yes. responsibility. They wanna have fun and that includes travel, vacations. Correct. They're less interested in trying new things and that's okay. Sometimes you can't, you can lead a horse to water but you can't make them drink. <laughs> but, the old but, dog new trick. That's right. But but they're fairly happy and fulfilled. Our final group, the Purposeful Pathfinders. Folks, that's where we want you to wind up. These folks, they're, they're like, should be like at the top five, 10%. They've been the role models. They've really acted their wage their whole life. They've saved first and spent second. So the average age of that they start at is age 34. 31 years of savings on average. They have a, a really high purpose and, and self purpose of life. A lot of travel, a lot of vacations, and that's because they've started so early. Now these folks could really take advantage of tax planning, estate planning, gift giving, have all those plans in, in place. To kind of tie this all together, we can help any one of these groups but nobody can tell you what's wrong with you without a x-ray a cat scan we would really like to get into the to the weeds of all of your savings all of your expenses and really show you where your money's going and how to get you to the finish line with as much assets as possible and both spouses have to buy in and be all in on any plan. Excellent. Investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning, that's what makes up a solid financial plan. Annex Wealth Management does it as a fee-only fiduciary. We want you to know the difference. Head to AnnexWealth.com, click that Get Started button. Robert Chastain, Branch Director and Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for jumping on. Oh, thank you, Danny, so much. And remember, if anybody wants to call me directly, you can get me at 239-350-6363. We're going to be right back. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. 92.5 Fox News. The Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee is locked and laser-focused on every aspect of the markets. Go deep with the SWAT podcast. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Delivered every Monday morning on Spotify. Search Annex Wealth Management for the SWAT podcast. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. Joe Martin is a wealth strategist and an estate planning attorney at Annex and is back. Welcome. Thanks. You want to do your loved ones a favor? Have your estate planning documents in good order. Spare them the hours that it could take to track this stuff down. Got a 10-point list. There's a lot to go over, so we're going to go over pretty quick with Jill. First on the list, the classic, The Last Will and Testament. Absolutely. You know, everyone should have one of these, even if you have $1,000 to your name when you pass away. We still need some instructions on where that stuff is going to go, and the last will is kind of that first place that people look at. Next up, revocable living trust. Now, is that for everybody? 
A revocable living trust is for a lot of people because what happens is you rely on that last will to dispose of your assets, we're going to end up in probate court. So we use revocable trusts or living trusts to help try and bypass the probate process to distribute assets. So it's really a great technique for anybody. It doesn't have to be that you're only the ultra high net worth or the really, really rich and famous that need a trust. Here's one that's incredibly important. Make sure your beneficiary designations are who you want them to be. Oh, this is a great one because what happens is is so many times we see that people don't understand that just because my will says I leave something to my three kids, your beneficiary designations override your last will or your revocable living trust. So you want to make sure that everything's aligned. This really comes into play with second marriages, things like that, where it can kind of get dicey if you forgot about that old 401k plan. Classic story, the ex-wife. Yes, Yeah, exactly. there you go. Next up, the advanced health care directive slash living will. Is that the same thing as a health care power of attorney? Yes. So they're called different things depending on which state you're located in and whichever statute governs it. A health care power of attorney advanced directive is where you're naming someone to make your health care decisions when you can't. A living will or a declaration to health care providers is something where you're checking some boxes to tell them exactly what you want to have happen if there isn't someone that can make those decisions for you. So it's a little different. Many times when somebody goes into an assisted living facility. They're That's required for sure. to yeah, have those. There you go. Absolutely. We're with Joe Martin, wealth strategist and estate planning attorney. The 10 things to have in order with your estate plan. Financial power of attorney is next. That's a big one, right? So what happens is, is any financial institution is not just going to talk to your spouse or to your kids because they're your kids. There needs to be a legal document that protects the financial institution, but also gives those children the authority to transact on your behalf possibly overlooked, but very important insurance policies and financial information, of course, right? Yeah, and we're not just talking life insurance, right? A lot of people think estate planning and we're thinking life insurance, but it's also your homeowner's insurance, your umbrella policy, your health insurance, right? People need to know where that stuff is, right? Everybody has that annual Medicare renewal that they come through with their supplemental insurance. If all of a sudden you're not able to do that, you need to have your family members know where that is and how to proceed. This one was a little bit of a surprise. Proof of identity documents. It's second nature. We just assume that we can prove our identity. But a lot of times stuff gets lost as we get older. Where was that birth certificate? We don't necessarily know. That marriage certificate or that divorce decree, right? A driver's license. If we don't drive anymore, do we still have a state-issued ID? It's important to have all that stuff, including the Social Security card. Here's another one that might be easy to miss. Titles and property deeds in order. Yeah, so this one kind of goes to those beneficiary designations and how we have assets titled. It helps make sure that we know exactly what's going to happen on those properties when you pass away. Similar to that beneficiary designation or if you own something jointly with someone else, those can override that last will or that trust. So it can be unintended if we don't know what those are. Here's a modern age one, and this is really important, digital account logins and passwords. Yeah. So, you know, there's all sorts of things out there where you can set up legacy instructions, like who can take over your online account after you pass away, those types of things. But back when I did a state settlement, exclusively, right? You'd forward the mail. And guess what? As the executor, I could see all the mail that that person was getting. I knew what bills they were having, right? Think about it today. How many of us get all of our bills in an email? 
And if somebody all of a sudden passes away, if we don't know the password to their email address, how are we ever gonna know what bills are out there? Having information about what's your email addresses, what are your passwords, but then also all of the financial accounts that you get all of your information electronically exclusively through, we need to know where that is. And the 10th, our final one, funeral instructions and wishes. Yeah, that one is probably something that people think about, but maybe they don't write down. We know that we wanna have this burial or we've bought a plot at this cemetery. It's just important to make sure we're communicating that to someone, even if it's not verbally written down. And I don't know that it's required that you prepay or you pre-plan or you've done a lot of that, but at least have a plan that you've talked to your loved ones about. Where do you keep all this stuff? Do you have to house it in one place? It would be a good idea. It's helpful to keep it all in one place, but sometimes you also want to be cautious about dividing and conquering it so that your financial life isn't all in one place. So if someone gets it, it's kind of the chicken and the egg thing. You got to have it all, but do you really want to have it all in one place? It's important. It's also important to share that information with somebody else. Jill Martin, wealth strategist and estate planning attorney at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. You're welcome. This Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, going to be right back on 92.5 Fox News. The Week in Review, Know the Difference Minutes, Team Segments, Planning Topics, including Investments, Retirement, Tax, and Estate. It's all on the Annex Wealth Management YouTube channel, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Head to YouTube and search Annex Wealth Management. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? At the core, Annex Wealth Management is about investment and retirement planning. But once a proper plan is in place, you got a path forward. And then the fun stuff happens, like the joy of being a grandparent. Talk about that as Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning. Learning and Development, CFP and a CDFA at Annex Wealth Management. Hey, Deanne. Hey, Danny. So I'm not a grandparent yet. <laughs> I know. Uh, you definitely are. <laughs> but I tell you, and you know this, grandparenting is just different. It's like being an aunt or an uncle. You can stir them up and give them back. But it's it's deeper. You might want to bless them in certain ways through a well-crafted financial plan. And that's what we're going to talk about. Deanne, if somebody wants to start out a grandchild on a say, a path to higher education, I'm going to guess the 529 is usually where they start. Yeah, so grandparent or parent, and that I can relate to. So, yeah, these are state-sponsored education savings plans. They're called 529 plans. Each state has them. And they have built-in tax benefits, kind of like a Roth, but for education instead of retirement. So you put in after-tax money, and the earnings grow, and they're pulled out income tax-free if they're used for higher education qualified expenses. And it's fairly liberal with a qualified expense. The law changed recently. Now you can make withdrawals for elementary through high school as well as college and beyond needs. At that college and beyond level, the funds can be used for tuition, room and board, fees, books, supplies, equipment. And using these funds for qualified expenses, remember, means no income taxes due on the earnings. Do you find or do you see that it's a lump sum contribution when the baby is born or do they do it throughout the years or a mix? I've seen people do a mix. This is an unusual year where you can actually bundle several years worth of deductions in a couple state plans and maximize the state income tax credit that you would get when you put into a plan. So that is worth looking into. Now, this is kind of old school, but have you seen clients open up something as simple as a savings account in a grandchild's name? Or, or is that like, that? that's my old generation? No, we still see that. However, there are a couple ways to do this. Opening up a savings in your own name, for example, like, let's say, and putting away with a purpose of assisting them at a later time for anything, car, house purchase, school. Doing it this way does not tie you to having to give it to the grandchild, however. And when you do, it would be considered a 
gift. So you would need to stay under the annual gifting limits or you just file that tax return. The other way to do it, if it's truly in the kiddo's name with the grandparent as the adult overseeing the child's money, you're actually establishing an UTMA, Unified Transfer to Minors, under the Unified Transfer to Minors Act. And remember, a person under majority age can't own their own financial assets outright. So you are kind of the caretaker of that money for them. Now, this money does become theirs at the age of majority if you set up that UTMA. And they can spend it then however they want. So there can be some considerations due it this route if the grandchild is going to file a FAFSA for educational loans and grants as well. Consult a planner. Is that 18, age of majority? It depends on the state. Got it. I can't imagine an 18-year-old ever squandering money, but you know, <laughs> that's what the protection is for. How about just plain old financial gifts? Not, like in the last year of my dad's life, he gave one of his grandchildren a car that he no longer drove, and the rest of his grandchildren got cash equivalents. Then we're talking about gift tax exclusions, things like that. Right. So for 2021, the annual gift tax exclusion is $15,000 per donor per recipient. So what that means is anyone can literally gift anyone up to $15,000 in assets a year free of federal gift taxes. Any value above that, and you file the form with your taxes accounting for your gift toward your lifetime exemption, but most likely no tax will be due. That exemption's really high. Dean Phillips is Director of Client Learning Development, a CFP and a CDFA at Annex Wealth Management. I remember growing up and knowing trust fund kids. Um, I wasn't one, but I definitely (laughs) knew trust fund kids. One thing grandparents need to avoid, I think everybody's going to agree on this, is overspending. Mm -hmm. A good thing is great. Too much of a good thing is not. Yeah, you know, we always say, always put the oxygen mask on yourself first. And that means making sure that your retirement dollars are sufficient and your financial plan works well for you before you start aggressively gifting. When it gets down to it, many are going to suggest that grandparents spend on experiences over things. You, you take them to the Grand Canyon, you teach them how to fish, you show them how to sail, you know, things like that. That's more important, isn't it? It really, it it is. And this goes back to the individual values of each person. So as a planner, I often hear from grandparents, they want to take their kids to Disney or on a trip for a special birthday. And we build that into the financial plan. You're right, Danny. These are indeed great memories and a terrific way to have what we call a living legacy. So spending some future inheritance while living on these great memories with family. Sure, so much better. Dan Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development, a CFP and a CDFA at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Someone asks how you are. Most of the time, it's good. So how's your money, your investments, your retirement plans? Given everything going on, good might not be the answer. It's time for Annex Wealth Management. Head to AnnexWealth.com. Click the Get Started button. Annex will build a plan that addresses your financial, retirement, tax, and estate planning. Annex Wealth Management can change the conversation. We don't want you to answer, good. We want you to feel the confidence of saying, great. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. AnnexWealth.com. We're back. Quick reminder, this show is going to be on Spotify at the top of the hour. So if you came in partway through it, you want to hear the whole thing on demand, that'd be great. Just go to Spotify, search Annex Wealth Management. we got a bunch there. Also, the Axiom, our free weekly newsletter, our YouTube channel, really good with over 1,500 videos that we produced and our Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast. One of the things that you can see on the Annex Wealth Management YouTube channel is Tom Parks and the What's That series, and he is now in the studio. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me, Danny. Don't want to talk about what's that. I just want to put a plug in for you, but you're our head of our retirement plan services team. We're deeply involved 
involved with many, many companies to help build and maintain great retirement plan services. That we are, and there's a lot to it, Danny. There is a lot that goes in it, not only the qualified plan itself, be it a 401k or a SEP or any plan that you have, but if you are a participant in those plans as well, you know, a lot of times you're not only talking to the plan sponsors, but the participants as well. And we've seen a lot of set it and forget it in these qualified plans these days. And tell us a little bit about how you counsel the members of the plan. Like you said, Dave, we're talking both to the employers, trying to help them with their fiduciary responsibilities, but ultimately the plan is all about the employees and preparing them for retirement. And you're right, a lot of people have done set it and forget it with the advent of target date funds. First it was risk-based portfolios and then it graduated to target date funds and a lot of people do set it and forget it, which is kind of the idea with target date funds, but we encourage people to to take a closer look and make sure that the investment makeup of their portfolio is really the right thing for them. So, so a lot they, of conversations. So there. let me ask you, if they don't have a target date fund, they sometimes have this whole menu, be it 30, 40 choices. How do they go through that process and decide how they should be allocated? Yeah, and we do come across that, and that's where the, the set it and forget it can be kind of dangerous. Because as you know, if you set, let's just say, a 60-40 portfolio, as the underlying assets grow and the, the market fluctuates, you end up down the road with no longer having that risk profile. So two things. First are make sure that you are looking at your underlying portfolio construction. Which are the funds that are in your plan? You know, which ones are you using? Have there been new ones added? Have maybe some of the funds that you're in been taken out? Because right. that happens. You and know, a lot of times time. in time you've seen it, just someone pokes their head over a cubicle and says, Sally, how are you invested? And maybe I should do the same. Oh, Dave, we see that far more often than we would like. You know, the, the you come across an allocation and all of a sudden you're like, okay, clearly somebody was talking about this in the lunchroom or something. I've got my hand raised when I was a young pup. That's how I did it. You, you, there was somebody that was older, and they must know more. Yeah, it, don't get me wrong. It's it's better to be invested than not, but it's better to be mindful of your investments uh, than, than to just kind of set them and then not think about them over time because markets do change. The other thing is your risk tolerance, your goals change over time. So we're not saying that you need to be looking at this every month or every quarter, but at least once a year, take the time to go in there, see what you've got and make sure that you're still on track. And so a lot of the providers, uh, did, how does someone go through and measure their risk tolerance? That's that's a big question that we hear a lot is I'm in the plan and I'm, I'm at the certain age, therefore I should be a moderate investor. That doesn't take in all the facts and circumstances of that particular investor. No, it does not. And when we talk about target date funds, I always use my wife and I as an example because we're the same age and theoretically then we would be in the same target date fund because it's based on you know approximately when you're going to retire but my wife and I have different risk tolerances Uh, we have similar goals thankfully because we're married but when you know you're looking at the the tools online most of the providers have very robust tools we obviously use Riskalyze at Annex to, to help people with that but no matter who your provider is there's going to be some sort of tool some are better than others but they're all better than nothing to go and give you a sense of, okay, where are you at in this journey and uh, at least push you in the right direction. And then lastly, and of course, if you're listening to this and maybe your plan is substandard, how would people go about getting a second look? We take a look at people's accounts all the time here at Annex and looking at their individual accounts. I actually have some tools online because of being in the business. We've got access to some 
pretty cool stuff where we can do some analysis. It's really, a, a, first of all, is, is recognizing what's going on and then talking to the people at your company who are in charge and just asking some questions of them because it might not be at the top of their priority list. And that's really, that's really the question. If you are a plan provider, if you own a company, you're the HR director. Easiest thing to do there, Dave, is to reach out and give us a call. We can do most of the heavy lifting for you. Like you know, we are fiduciaries, so we're going to do what's in best people's in, in people's best interest and show you what you've got. Hey, I don't know if you guys noticed, but uh, hiring is still on fire, right? right? And, you know, I hear a lot of radio commercials, and they'll be talking about the job, and they'll be talking about the company, and right at the end, I'm nearly certain every single company worth their salt will say, yeah. 401k. We have a 401k plan because it's a great benefit. Well, it's important. And, and for, you know, the 22, 25-year-olds that are listening out there, boy, it's important. And get in there and get in there early. If you're a parent of one of those 22 or 25-year-olds, you got to get them going on this. But if you don't have a 401k in place, you got to. Job applicants are much more sophisticated than they used to be. They're not just looking at the wage. They're looking at the whole package. Retirement is something that's on everybody's mind because of what's going on with Social Security, the economy, all that stuff. Can't let it go. If you're a participant, and even if you're at the end of your uh, working time, right, you're, you're starting to think about fishing and golfing more often, that is a good participant as well. Dave Spano was our president and CEO. Thank you very much. Nice show again, Danny. Folks, in this last hour, just a small glimpse of what we do. We talked about 401ks, Ask Annex. We had lots of our teammates on here. Just now, 10 things to have on hand for efficient estate planning. Head to our website. We can help. Before we let you go, let me ask, when you're deciding on your investment and retirement planning, whose interests are your advisors working for? It needs to be you. If you're not feeling it, it's time to change. We're going to be back here next Sunday at noon. Hope you can join us then. If not, we'll be on Spotify. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. The Annex Wealth Management Show is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk. Please consult with a qualified fiduciary advisor about your specific situation.